from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. Just about everyone suffers from a lack of self-confidence or feeling unworthy sometimes. We live in a world that tells us that we have to be perfect. But in reality, those expectations are impossible to meet. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about the blessing of being imperfect. We'll look at a verse from the Bible that instructs us to be holy, and we'll discover how our flaws, our imperfections, are our roadmap to holiness and greatness. We'll learn how to embrace our imperfections and use them as a springboard to get closer to God and how we can rise higher than even the angels. If you've ever felt inadequate or if shame and guilt have held you back in life, this episode is especially for you. Every week, Jews around the world study and read the same Torah portion known as the Parsha. This week's Parsha is called Mishpatim, which means laws, and it covers chapters 21 through 24 in the book of Exodus. The Parsha that we read last week ended with the giving of the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai. This week's reading begins with more directives from God, detailed laws that govern different aspects of everyday life. And according to Jewish tradition, these laws were also given to Moses at Mount Sinai. The laws in this Parsha address a broad spectrum of issues, issues related to personal injuries, protection of property, social responsibility, justice and mercy, and more. The verse that I want to focus on today is sandwiched in between all of these laws and is about halfway through the reading. You can find it in Exodus twenty-two thirty-one, and I'm going to read it to you now. You are to be my holy people, so do not eat the meat of an animal torn by wild beasts. Throw it to the dogs. That's strange. This verse is telling us not to act like wild beasts, not to eat roadkill like wild animals do, but to be holy and to behave accordingly. The fact that this verse appears in the middle of all these directives is not an accident. It's as though God is telling us that the purpose of all these laws is to help us overcome our animalistic nature and become holy, more God-like beings. Instead of acting like animals, doing whatever we feel like doing, we are called to rise above our feelings and desires, to do what is right in God's eyes, and to serve him in every aspect of our lives. The call to be holy appears many places in the Bible, but there is something unique about this instance. Most of the time, God simply says, be holy, but this is the only place where God tells us not only to be holy ourselves, but to be holy people. Why didn't God just say, be holy, like he did every other time? 
What does the word people add to this verse? A prominent rabbi from the 18th century, Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotsk, noticed this nuance in the verse, and he explained it this way. He said, You shall be holy, but as people. God has no lack of angels in heaven. But what did the rabbi mean by this? Why would we want to be holy like humans if we could be holy like angels? Isn't it better to be like an angel? To answer this question, we need to understand the fundamental difference between humans and angels. Now, I could easily do an entire podcast on Jewish teachings about angels, but we'll have to save that for another time. For now, I'll explain briefly and generally, even though there are many types of angels and many levels of meaning. The simplest way to define the term angel is a messenger of God. In Hebrew, the word for angel is malach, and that same word can also mean messenger, because angels are God's messengers. Whether they are in the heavens or working down on earth, they exist to do his bidding. Angels are purely spiritual beings, while humans are part of the material world with physical desires and a tendency to actually go against God's will. People live down below on the lowly earth, while angels live high above in the lofty heavens. And according to Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotsk, when God gave the Torah to the Israelites at Mount Sinai, it was because he wanted a relationship with humans, flaws and all, all of our imperfections. There is a fascinating story in the Jewish tradition, a behind-the-scenes look at what happened when God gave the Torah to Israel. And it explains why God chose mere mortals for his sacred covenant. According to tradition, when Moses went up to the heavens and received the Bible, the angels turned to God and said, What is a mortal doing here? So God told them that Moses was there to receive the Torah, the word of God. The angels were completely shocked. They said, this secret treasure, you want to give it to flesh and blood? They had no idea what was in the Bible, but they knew that it was a valuable treasure that was sacred, that was precious to God, that God had hidden away for a thousand years. They also knew that the Bible was part of an important mission from God, and that's what angels do. They fulfill God's missions, no questions asked, unlike human beings who are far less likely to do what God asks of them. The angels argued that humans, with all of their shortcomings, didn't deserve God's treasure, and that they, the perfect ones, the angels, should receive the Torah instead. The angels cried out to God with the words of Psalm 8, verse 4 to 5. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? You have made them lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. The angels couldn't understand. Why would God crown human beings with the honor of receiving the word of God instead of giving it to the angels who are on a much higher spiritual level 
and therefore much more qualified to carry out God's directives. You know what? The angels had a good point. But of course, God didn't change his mind. And he instructed Moses to give an answer to the angels to justify why human beings deserved the Bible and not them. This was Moses' response. He turned to God and he said, What is in your Torah? And God replied, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. Moses turned to the angels and said, Were you in Egypt? Were you in that place of darkness? How are these words of God relevant to you? Moses turned to God again and said, What else is written in it? And God said, You shall have no other gods. Moses said to the angels, Do you dwell among idol worshipers? How is this relevant to you, O perfect angels? And again, Moses asked God, What else is written in your Torah? And God answered, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Moses once again looked at the angels and said, Do you work hard at physical labor that you need to rest on the Sabbath? How is this commandment relevant to you? And so the conversation went, with Moses asking God what was in the Torah and then showing the angels how none of it applied to them. Angels live in a place of continuous light and clarity. People, on the other hand, deal with all kinds of darkness, all kinds of difficulties in our lives and inside of our souls. And as Moses showed the angels, that is exactly where our greatness lies. Angels may be beings of light, but only human beings can take darkness and transform it into light. Only people can overcome evil desires or extend kindness, even when they don't feel like being kind. Only human beings can turn the physical world into a place of godliness. The story ends by telling us that when the angels heard what Moses had to say, they immediately conceded. They even befriended Moses and gave him spiritual gifts to help the Israelites fulfill their God-given mission. The angels were rooting for man to succeed. Now, that's a very spiritual story, and there are parts of it that we might not fully understand. But the main purpose of the story is the lesson that it comes to teach us, that as imperfect human beings, our weakness is in the source of our potential for greatness. God chose to give his Torah to people, not in spite of our flaws, but because of them, God wanted a relationship with human beings because only people can choose God and to do the right thing, even when they want to do the opposite. That, my friends, is a far greater service to God. Now we can understand what the rabbi of Kutsk meant when he said that God wants us to be holy as people because he has enough angels in heaven. He wants human holiness, people who live in the material world and choose to rise above it, people who live physical lives and choose him to be part of it, 
People who do the wrong things sometimes, but can also correct their mistakes and choose to do what is right. There is a story about a student of the rabbi of Kutsk who came home after studying under the rabbi for a few years. When the young man came home, his parents asked him what he learned from his rabbi, and he summed it all up in one sentence. He said, I learned that man is man, that angels are angels, and that if man wants it enough, he can become even greater than the angels. The student was saying that even though humans were created lower than angels, by overcoming our weaknesses, we have the ability to rise higher than the angels. One of the worst mistakes that people make is looking inside themselves, seeing all of the imperfections and flaws and concluding that they are unworthy, lower than angels, less than perfect. We pass judgment on ourselves all the time and we feel bad about our imperfections. But the truth is that God created us exactly as we should be. God doesn't expect us to be perfect and neither should we. I love this analogy that I once heard to explain the value of imperfect human beings. Imagine that there are two diamonds in front of you. The one on the right is a nearly flawless five-carat diamond. and The one on the left is a completely flawless five-carat diamond. Which one is more valuable? A lot of people would assume that the perfect diamond is the more valuable of the two. But those people would be wrong. In reality, a flawless diamond is relatively valueless. Why? Because it's a fake. There is no such thing as a completely flawless diamond. By definition, a true diamond that is formed in the ground by tremendous pressure over a lot of time will have flaws. Any diamond that appears to be perfect is an inauthentic imitation that was made in a laboratory. Here's the point. A flaw in a diamond doesn't decrease its worth. It proves its value. The fact that we each have our share of flaws doesn't decrease our worth. It proves that we are priceless. Just the other day, I woke up, I had corona, and I felt like a mess. My hair was all over. I was in my pajamas for the third day straight. And I was sitting at the kitchen table drinking a coffee, feeling pretty worthless. I haven't done much for the past three days, and I didn't look like much either. It was then that my husband, my dear husband of over 16 years, and we've been together for 20 years, he's seen every side of me. He's seen the side that gets all dressed up for work, that goes to events, the mother that gets all dressed up and goes to school in order to fight for her children's education. He's seen every side of me. And you know what he did? He came, he sat down next to me, and he said, out of all the different versions of Yael, I love the messy morning Yael the most. I looked at him and I was confused. He said, Yael, with all of your imperfections, you're perfect. Even when your hair isn't brushed, your hair is gorgeous. Even when you're not dressed in your fancy clothes and you're just in your pajamas, I think you're beautiful. This is the real you. It not only made me feel so good about myself, but I realized he's right. 
Each one of us is a diamond with a value that we could never measure. And our value doesn't come from being perfect. It comes from having flaws and shining anyways. God doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he does expect us to do our best to overcome our flaws, to improve our character and to serve him even when it's difficult. And when we rise above our physical nature and our material desires, we rise higher than the angels. Let's put it into practical terms. Let's say there's a woman who is prone to get angry. She gets too angry too often. We could say that it is a real character flaw. But then one day she decides that she wants to be a more loving and godly person. So the next time someone presses her buttons, instead of lashing out as usual, you know what she does? She stops. She takes a deep breath and focuses on the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, until her anger subsides. In that moment, this woman was greater than an angel. Here's another example. Let's say a man is going through a particularly difficult time in his life. He lost his job, he's running low on cash, and his washing machine just broke. He thinks of his friend who just got a big promotion at work and took his family on a week-long vacation. He's tempted to feel jealous, and for a second, he is a bit envious. But then he makes a decision to shift his focus to all of his blessings. He has his health, a beautiful family, a roof over his head, and so much more. So instead of being jealous about what someone else has, he thanks God for all that he has been given. And in that moment, you guessed it, he rises higher than the angels and his praises are greater than the praises of the angels. According to Jewish tradition, when each new day begins, the angels in heaven are not allowed to praise God until the nation of Israel praises him first. Because the praises of human beings who are speaking from a place of darkness, often of brokenness, with so many reasons to fall into despair, the praises of those people are on a higher level than the praises of the angels who live in the light and perfection of God. Instead of resenting our imperfections and the challenges that come from living in a physical world, I believe, and I believe what God wants, is that we should embrace them. They aren't the problem with our life. They're the very reason that we are alive. I was putting my five-year-old son, Shimmy, to sleep the other night, and he asked me a question that I wasn't expecting. He said to me, Mommy, why did Hashem kill Saba? My father, Rabbi Echiel Eckstein of blessed memory, died suddenly of a heart attack almost three years ago, and all of our hearts are still hurting. I looked at my sweet Shimmy, my sweet baby, and I said, I don't think that Hashem, that God wanted to kill Saba in the way that you think. I think that Saba's work here on this earth was done. It was a gift for him to be here, and it was a gift that he finished the job that God sent him here to do. Hashem came to take him back home. As I tried to explain to Shimi, each one of us is sent here for a reason. We have a job to do, 
And as long as we are here on earth, it means that we still have work to do. Part of our job is to overcome our weaknesses and to improve our character. Our flaws, our imperfections, they tell us what we are here to work on. In fact, the rabbis taught that it is precisely our areas of weakness that have the potential to become our greatest strengths. And when we overcome our weaknesses, not only do we become the greatest version of ourselves, we also become greater than angels. And our souls shine more brightly than even the brightest stars. In Psalm 129.14, we read, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God made us exactly as we should be. We are perfectly imperfect. We are flawed and wonderful. This week, let's lean into our weaknesses and embrace them. Can you love and accept yourself more fully, flaws and all? Can you love and accept others with all of their imperfections? Can you identify your weaknesses and commit to working on them? How might you overcome them and rise higher than the angels? Every human being contains some imperfections, but that doesn't decrease our value. It makes us real and defines our mission here on earth. Our value doesn't come from being perfect. It actually comes from taking a flawed soul and making it shine. Shavuot Tov, my shining friends. Have a wonderful week from here in the Holy Land. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at Yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.